Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. You know, just listen to some of the trials and testimonies of wayward children and broken marriages and everything. Have you ever prayed for something and you just felt like God, maybe he wasn't there. You prayed for so long, it's like he's not going to answer your prayer. Or you even doubt from time to time, maybe, is he really there? You know, I, don't, I hope I'm not the only one in here that's uh, experienced that, but... Uh, I know you, you've prayed for things. You've maybe prayed for healing or healing of a loved one or maybe you've been betrayed by a spouse or, or something. And it's like, where is God? Where is, why is this happening to me? And you, I know you've been tempted to give up. Often we, we're even tempted to uh, think God's nowhere around, but or maybe you've done something in the past that uh, brings you shame every time you think about it and you just can't seem to shake it. It's just, how can God love me after I did that or said that? And you're afraid, and you're afraid that uh, if anybody else found out about that, that you know they would reject you. And maybe God's thinking the same thing. You want to hide from God because you think he's turned away from you. You doubt his love and you doubt his promises. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus understands your plight. And, of course, your first question may be, how does Jesus understand my plight? My plight? You know, I doubt God. I wonder sometimes if he's even there. Does, I mean, Jesus never experienced that. You know, how can he relate to me in those kind of situations? Well, in Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin in all things so I'm here to tell you Jesus has been tempted in doubting God answering his prayer you say well that's I can't believe that well let's, let's continue There's a disposition that every high priest has. And Jesus is our high priest. And Pete Bristow of a Bent Tree Fellowship in Texas calls it the priestly predisposition. In other words, the priest has a predisposition and has this quality that all priests must have to be a priest or they're illegitimate. So we're going to look at that. In Hebrews 5, 1, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So this is the job description of a high priest. He offers sacrifices for sin. For the sinner comes to him with their offering and he, he offers the sacrifice. Now, there's a difference between a prophet and a priest. Now, if I'm, I'm a prophet 
Imagine this screen is God and I'm a prophet and you're the people. A prophet represents God to the people, thus says the Lord. So he's God's representative to the people. Now a priest is something entirely different. A priest, if I'm a priest, and this is God and you're the people, I represent you guys to God. I stand in your place in front of God and I offer sacrifices for sins. So that's what a, a high priest actually does. And look at verse uh, 2. This is the priestly predisposition. He, the priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. So he deals gently. So part of the priestly predisposition is that the priest is able to deal gently with the sinner as he, as he represents them to God. Now, he can deal gently. Why do you think he can deal gently? Since he himself also is beset with weakness. He is weak. He has sinned. So when you come to him with your sin, he, he can deal gently with you because he's been in, in the same spot. So he can relate. And because of it, because of what? Because he is weak also. Because of that, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. So since he is weak and he has sinned, then he has to, uh, when the Old Testament priest went into the holy, holy, he had to bring offering for his sin also. In verse 4, now no one takes this honor to himself, the priest, to be a priest, but receives it when he's called by God, even as Aaron was. So the requirements to be a priest, you have to be called by God, and you have to have this priestly predisposition of gentleness in dealing with those who come with their sin. So not anyone can be a priest. Now Moses... Moses' brother Aaron was, our, was the first high priest. And he's from the tribe of Levi. So, as the first high priest, he had to deal gently with the people. So he was beset with weakness because he had sinned also. Now, when did Aaron sin? I mean, what? He really blew it one time. If you remember, Moses had went up on the mountain and he had the Ten Commandments and he was coming down with the Ten, Ten Commandments. So we pick up the story. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. I mean, he could be dead for all we know. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold ring which are in the ears of your wives. I hope they were a little more gentle than that, you know. <laughs> yeah, earlobe problem here. So, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fastened it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf and they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So... This is what's going on. So here comes Moses down, down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and he's not happy, as you would expect. So he calls Aaron over to the side, I can imagine. He says, bro, hey, come here. Now listen to Aaron's excuse. Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. 
you know these people yourself, that they are prone to evil. It's all the people's fault, right? For they said to me, make a God for us who, who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. You did take a long time, Moses. You know. <laughs> I said to them, whoever has any go, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me. And I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> now, you, do, you, do, you think, do you think Moses uh, believed that story? I don't think so. So fast forward. Aaron's the first high priest there in the tent, temple. So here comes this Israelite with his head hanging low because of his sin. He has his offering in his hand, and he brings it to Aaron. And he says to Aaron, Aaron, I've sinned. Please go to God for me. Please make this offering to God for me. Now, Aaron could relate. I mean, he could put his arm around his shoulder. Yeah, I know what you're going through. I know how hard it is. I've blown it before also. So because Aaron, the high priest, was beset with weakness, because he had sinned also, he, can, he could deal gently with that worshiper that came with his sin, and, and he could relate, which is a requirement to be high priest. All right, you say, but our high priest is Jesus. Hmm. So if the high priest is selected by God, and the reason he can be compassionate and deal gently with the people is because he's also beset with weakness, because he sinned also, then we have a problem, because why do you think we have a problem? Jesus never sinned. Hmm. It's a requirement to be high priest. You have to be able to deal gently with, because you have been beset with weakness. So every high priest must have this disposition, no exceptions. Look at Hebrews 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. So Jesus didn't, didn't, not. Uh, make him his own self high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you, talking to, about Jesus or the, the Messiah, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So what's one of the requirements to be a high priest? You have to be called by God, okay. He's called by God. A different, a different order, but still, he's called by God. But has Jesus going to be able to deal gently with us because he is beset with weakness? We still hadn't answered that yet. He's never sinned, so how could he relate? So where was Jesus' weakness? Continues. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud cryings and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety, or another translation is reverent submission. And save him from, that can also be out of. I think out of is a better interpretation here, but so he offered both prayer and supplication with loud cryings and tears to the one who could save him out of death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. What does that scene remind you of? The Garden of Gethsemane. You remember when he's praying? No, so what was he praying? Well, we know he was praying, what? To the one able to save him out of death. So he's praying. So there's two options. All right, what, what 
out of death, what is that? Now the most common interpretation of that is Jesus was praying to be saved from dying or being saved from having to go to the cross. But it couldn't be that because Jesus knew he had to go to the cross. He knew he, knew he had to die. So, it, and also it said he was heard. That means his prayer was answered. So, now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I came to this hour. So, you know, he, he knew he had to go to go to the cross. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. And as most of you know, he could have called for 12 legions of angels at any time, even when he was hanging on the cross. Or do you think, or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put my at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? So he's praying to the one who can save him from death out of death so it couldn't have been to save him from dying. He knew that was his purpose. So he was praying in agony in the garden he was not praying to be saved from the cross because his prayer was answered, as we said a while ago, in the affirmative. He was heard. So if he was praying to be spared the cross and God said yes, then he wouldn't have had, go, he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. So it's not that. I mean, look at that verse again. In the days of his flesh, and it's interesting Side note, days of his flesh. He was human. He was fully human. God also, but, but I think we miss a lot of times that he was a man. He had to be a man to redeem mankind from their sin. So in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayer and supplications with loud cryings and tears to the one able to save him out of death, and he was heard. So if it wasn't that, if it wasn't that he was praying to be saved from dying or death, then what was it? I think it, he was praying to escape the state of death, not the fate of death. In other words, he was praying not to be left dead, left in the grave. I think he was praying, I, I, know, I, I know I'm going to die. I know I'm going to the cross, but please, Father, do not leave me in the grave. Jesus in his hu humanness and his humanity praying in the garden was concerned whether the Father would actually bring him back to life afterwards. He knew the Father had promised he would rise again, but right before the cross, he was being tempted with doubt. The temptation is not the sin. He was being tempted with doubt, wondering if the Father would be faithful. He was contemplating being left in the grave. This is what was bringing Jesus such agony in the garden that blood actually dripped from his pores. Isn't that an actual condition? Is that what it is? What he said, this hemo, whatever. But, I mean, your body is in such stress and turmoil that you actually, blood comes out of your pores. Matthew 26, then he said to them, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. 
yet not as I will, but as you will. Now the NIV says, let this cup, where it says, let this cup pass, it says, uh, let this cup be taken from me. So what is, what is this cup? This is very important. And like I said, most people think he's praying to be spared the cross. So, but we've already seen that it's not, he's not asking to be spared from the cross. So what is this cup? Well, in the, old te- the cup in the Old Testament is a metaphor for God's divine wrath. So the cup here is divine wrath. And Jesus is asking, let this cup be taken, please take this cup out of my hand, basically is what he's saying. Yet not as I will, but you will. All right. Now, in the Old Testament, there are two endings to drinking the cup. There are two different categories of drinking the cup. And I think Jesus was praying one of them. Now, one of the categories are results of having to drink the cup. Remember, the cup is God's divine wrath, which always results in death. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk, vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword which I will send among you. One result, fall, die, rise no more. All right. That means permanent death. So this is not the one Jesus was praying, not not the result Jesus was praying. Now the second one is a passing judgment. It's God's full wrath and death, but look what happens in this second category. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, even your God who contends for his people, Behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of reeling, the chalice of my anger. You will never drink it again. So there's, there's two completely different results of drinking the cup. Now this judgment, I think, is what Jesus was praying. He's asking the Father to take the cup out of his hand. Now, this is a one-time judgment, never to drink it again. So, and what, Jesus is never to die again. He died one time for all sin, for all people, never to drink the cup again. But taking the cup out of Jesus' hand, God was signifying the judgment was complete. Sacrifice for sin complete. And because the Father is satisfied, he honored his word by raising Jesus from the dead. In other words, the father took the cup out of his hand so he could rise again. But the father had to be satisfied for the the judgment of sin or he couldn't have taken the cup. Now, just kind of put yourself there with Jesus in the garden. He's praying. His soul is almost, he's almost dying because of all the all the torment and stuff that's coming against him. And I'm sure that at that time, Jesus knows all the scriptures. He, he knows what's awaiting him. And, and I'm sure all these things are coming against him, you know, tormenting him in his mind. Let's look at, let's look at a couple of them. This is in Isaiah, and all the scriptures are about Jesus. So what? So I will put into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. You have made, even made your back like ground and like the streets for those who walk over it. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul has had enough troubles. 
and my life has drawn near to Sheol or the grave. I'm reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength. Now this is all stuff that's coming at Jesus. Forsaken among the dead like the slain who lie in the grave. Like the slain who lie in the grave whom you remember no more. And they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit and dark places in the depths. Your wrath has rested upon me and you have afflicted me with all your waves. I mean, that's just one passage in Isaiah. The Old Testament's full, full of his suffering and stuff. Now, in Psalms 22, of course, this is the famous messianic psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's obvious, right? He said that on a cross. And this is, what, hundreds, hundreds of years before Jesus. But it's a prophecy of what he's, what he's going, going to go through. Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. Now, I asked earlier, did you ever think God was not hearing you? But you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were, and were delivered. And you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourselves to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and feet. I mean, if it's not so obvious, I mean, that's. I count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, be not far off. O oh, you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. So, I mean, these are just, just a few of the things. So you, can you imagine? He's, as a human, now keep in mind, he's fully human here. And he's fixing to go to the cross. And he's fixing to die for the sins of the world. And he's being tempted to doubt that God will even Raise him from the dead. So in order for the cup to be taken, what has to happen? And we're back in the garden now. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. So in order for the cup to be taken, 
in, or, in order for Jesus' prayer to be answered that God would not leave him in the dead, he has to drink the cup first. He has to drink the cup of God's wrath. For, and in his case, for the sins of the world. So if it, if it can't be any other way, unless I drink it, your will be done. So what he's basically saying is, I know I'm going to die, Father. I know I've got to drink your cup of wrath. But don't leave me in the grave. But either way, your will be done. In other words, all right, he was, he was t being tempted to doubt. Okay, he's coming full circle here, and, and he's finally going, even if you don't take the cup from me, your will be done. I, I will trust you. And, that, and can you imagine him finally coming to that realization, if he leaves me in, in the grave, I'm going to do it anyway. Nah. He could call 10,000, I mean, 12 legions of angels here to rescue him. But he's saying, I love you so much, even if, he, even if this is the end of me, I'll, I'm going to do it. Uh, so, not my will, Father, but yours. And he was heard. Now, when this happened, I think the scripture is fulfilling. He was heard because of his reverent submission to God's will. So instead of calling the 12 legions, he said, your will be done. He trusted the Father with his life. And how do we know that Jesus' prayer was answered? The proof was God raised him from the dead. That's the evidence. Because he prayed, take this cup from me. So when the Father took the cup metaphorically, he was able to rise from the dead. In Psalm 16.10, David is prophesying, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, talking about the Messiah, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So all through the Old Testament, you've got pictures and shadows of the suffering, and then you have one here of, of God, is, of His mercy, that He's going to actually take the cup from the from his son and not allow him to undergo decay. Finishing it up. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He learned as a human being and through his, from the things which he suffered. So he, through his suffering, he learned to trust God. And in that moment, being, being uh, tempted not to, he, learned, he, learned, he was learning through that, just like any human would. And having been made perfect, now that just means complete. His, his uh, high priest requirements, his priestly predisposition that's required to be high priest, he was called by God. Now, he's, he learned gentleness through what he suffered so he he was so as the high priest he was made complete and having been made complete he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek so what's the point in all this I mean, we've got, we just heard testimony of, I mean, you, you have Nathan, you have the Gentries, you have Daniel, wayward children. How long have y'all been praying for him? We pray and we pray and sometimes we think God's not even hearing us. I remember uh, 
I prayed for something 10 years and it just recently came, came true a few years ago, three or four years ago. I prayed and prayed to find a church where the gospel of grace was preached. And uh, we came here in Louisiana about 12 years ago from Louisiana. I didn't go to church for 10 years. I think it was five in Louisiana and about five more. I forgot how long we've been here. And for 10 years I prayed, I probably every day. And it got to the point sometimes, God, you're not even hearing me. I mean, I was, I started doubting if the message was even true. And uh, anyway, it's not a good place to be. But it's, I guess it's part of your training, part of your growing. I mean, you know, I'd, I doubted that he was ever going to answer. You know, and all these big shots on TV, you know, they're, they're not preaching that. So, I mean, if they're not seeing it, is it even true? I mean, all the, you know, you've been there in, in different situations that, uh, Broken marriages. You prayed for your spouse, you know. God, why? You're not even hearing me. So we have a great high priest who understands this. That you doubt God? How can Jesus understands? He was tempted with that. So this is what I hear. Jesus saying to you, quote, I am for you. I deal with you with grace and gentleness. I understand your troubles. I have been there. I've been where you are. Even when you doubt my goodness and do not see a way out, I am with you. I am in you. I know how hard it is. I will help you. Trust me. So, I'll turn it over to you. If you got any comments, uh, questions, or rebuttals. Briscoe's teaching on this as well that you referenced, and I don't even think I picked up on that when he was teaching through that. That is, I've taught through Hebrews, <laughs> and I, don't, I definitely didn't. In fact, I think I remember when we taught through Hebrews, and I said, having been made perfect, yeah, I'm not really sure what that means. Let's keep going. <laughs> I think that's what I said. 
That is amazing, John. And, and to, to, to know that he truly knows what it feels like for us to be tempted with doubt whether the Father is going to honor his promise, his word. And, uh, and because he did, he's now able to become to all us who believe him the source of eternal salvation. It's amazing to me. What a And a point I forgot to mention is Jesus laid down his deity when he came into this world. He didn't use any of his uh, powers, so to speak, if he had power. He, he said he, he laid that down and that the way he operated was everything he heard the Father say, that's what he did as an example of how, even how we today would operate, that we, we live by every word that proceeds from his mouth. As we hear and we move and we live in this world, and it's not by ridiculous commandments that you look at to know how to live by. You live by everything he's telling you. It's like this relationship or this connection with God with, and Jesus himself, our faithful high priest who, who now can, he can agonize with us. He can mourn with those who mourn. He can rejoice with those who rejoice. So he, that's how we live, by hearing and by re, relating with our lover, our God, and then we walk that out. And, and because the Father took the cup back, right? Never, how did it say there in the... Never to drink it again. Never to drink it again because it's been emptied. And so the image of the Father still being angry at us and Jesus sort of being the go-between to keep the Father yeah. happy or to keep his, his wrath from still coming, the devil imagery is, is, is ridiculous because he, he only took the cup back because he was satisfied with... To death. And so Jesus isn't this like this good cop of God the Father, bad cop, you know, sort of a relationship. If we see the Son, we see the Father, for they are one, because this wrath has been satisfied. The cup has been taken back. It's amazing. Something you said to the cup is empty now. Yeah. There's no more wrath. Right. He exhausted it on the sun. So, any other comments, questions, or rebuttal? There are a couple things that I found kind of interesting. I went through, I flipped through all the garden scenes in all of the Gospels, and in Luke, this is the only one where it says, after Jesus was praying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And in Luke, for some reason, it's the only one where it says, now an angel appeared from heaven to him, strengthening him. And so huh. in his agony, there was Hell. the presence yeah. of the Lord. But I don't know if this is chronologically how it all happened, but after the angel appeared, then it says, and being in agony, he was praying very firmly and sweat became like drops of blood. Yeah. So it's like, maybe that's the encouragement. Yes, you're in agony. There's still the presence of the Lord. And he's with you through... Even the sweating yeah. of blood. Wow, like, you haven't been forsaken. Like, you might not be getting the answers you're wanting, but the presence and commitment is still there on his side. And then I guess I, I was reminded of this where James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were asking about who's going to sit on his right side. And they say, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup mm -hmm. that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you 
shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. Um, I'm just thinking out loud. Is that, do you think, a shadow of, like, they're obviously not taking on the sins of the world and all of God's wrath mm -hmm. upon them, but that cup being a symbol of, we're going to identify with Christ, die to this world once, be raised anew, be baptized into him, and that that cup of wrath we don't need to worry about anymore. Well, keep in mind. He said it's my cup, yeah. which I guess is referring to what you were kind of talking about there. Like I mean, that was the cup Jesus was drinking. We were in him. We were crucified with him. When you believe, you step from this realm into another realm, and now your history is God's history, Jesus' history. You no longer have lineage your mom and your dad, that's gone. You're in a different realm. So you are eternal once you step into this other realm. So in essence, when you believe you are, you are with him, you were in him. You were in his loins. You were, you were crucified with him. You died with him and you were raised with him. So in, in one sense, you were actually drinking the cup also. I mean, because when you believe, you, you die. And Je Jesus says, he says, uh, if you believe in me, you're not judged. If you don't believe, you're judged already. The judgment has happened. You're, the whole human race was judged, found guilty, and remain in death until you believe. And then you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son, and you re you receive his life and his history, so yeah, that's a good that's good point about yeah. that. So when he says the cup that I drink, you will drink. That I, it could saying like I drank it. You just gotta believe, and since you're in me, it's gonna honor. Yeah, you're gonna drink. Exactly what that's saying to those who obey him, yeah, mm -hmm. which is referring like it's obviously believing the gospel. It could you know it could. May not be that, may could be something else, but when you said that, that's what I thought of. And how cool is it, like in that passage, that he doesn't explain it all the way because the time hadn't yet come. Because right. if the enemy had known, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that the group that was what was going to happen because of this crucifixion, they, the, the powers of this age would not have crucified him if they knew right. what was going to happen. So Jesus is saying, you're going to drink it, but he doesn't explain like what that all exactly means. It's still a mystery at that point, and it wasn't made known until you know, Pentecost, especially, of, oh my God, we were in him. You know, that we were with him. We participated in that death. And so they might, you know, even at that moment, you know, James and, and John would be like, oh crap, really? <laughs> we're going to have to go? You know, because they, they didn't know. I mean, it, it was all pre- cross at that point and uh, but just what a relief it must have been to know that once the revelation did come to James and John what he did there on the cross or maybe even as John was there at the foot of the cross with the mother you know with Mary like thinking wow that that's me he's doing that for me I'm drinking this with him and it's just amazing. You know, I'm doing this so that you don't have to, but it's as if you are. It's amazing. Um, I'm just trying to imagine that Jesus didn't know because that's what's required for him to have any doubt in that question. Just. Genesis in the in the beginning was the word. So I mean, through him everything that is was made and like you said, he had to have known, I mean, everything about all the scripture. Instead he gave up his 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 power to become a man. Um, would he still have known? Well, the, 
you know. Yeah. Yeah, trying to correlate how that could be even be so. Yeah. It's a. Uh, I just think him being human, we miss that so much. He, he, the body was. This was a new thing. The word was in the beginning and created everything. Now that word became flesh or became a man with a new body a human soul. He was just like us far as yet he didn't have the seed of Adam, but he was a human being. So he had a soul that didn't exist before and he had a body that didn't exist before. And now as far as his spirit, I, I don't, I'm not sure if he, it was a human spirit and God joining himself, but that's what happens to us. Or was the word, was that his spirit? Maybe, is that the difference in him and us? That his spirit was actually the word from the beginning that created the heavens and the earth, now in his spirit. But, you know, but today even, you know, in our spirit, we're joined to God. Yet we don't fully see that yet. So does the body somehow, with him, does it filter some of the understanding and it's not clear? And as a human, he has to grow in wisdom. The scripture said he grew in wisdom as a little child. So he's growing in understanding of who he really is. Maybe he didn't see it as a child. I don't think he saw it clearly yet. Possibly, I, you know, I don't know that it's a mystery. stood out was until it is fulfilled. He knew that it would be fulfilled. And yet it is it is good for you to listen to the idea that he was he relinquished everything into the hands of God, knowing that he was the one that would bring this to fruition. Mm -hmm. And I guess and I think in our trials that we go through, the very reason that one would pray for there was something deep within you that said there, there is something that will come to fruition otherwise you would not have prayed and, and I was also thinking about his son and it was almost like in some twisted way his need to vocalize to say me as an individual and my girlfriend or ex-girlfriend Suddenly stood out to me. That's a redemption thing. He's like, if I can't have this, I don't feel like But could he be right in the middle of a deep agony? Yeah. Well, I think his famous last words. Go <laughs> let him have his words. And and somehow that just resonated to me. Allow him to have his journey. And and the idea of having to say that there was never a situation in my life experience that I was agonizing about something 
many times we say that here's mom and dad and the cool little heads should prevail and finally my son or daughter came to their senses and they repented. My experience is that I got as much out of that journey and um, how would you say building blocks of faith as they did. So it was we grow the scripture says that we grow together. It doesn't matter where we are in the journey. Your son's going through his journey. We're going through our journey. And when we come out on the other side, we will have gained ground hopefully. Anybody else? I, I was uh, trying to think of like an illustration to like help us see like, okay, imagine if you take your son and you know, I just couldn't come up with a format like, scripture had been written yet, which it hadn't been written yet, like Isaiah and the Psalms, like I could hear Abraham quoting it like, let this cup pass, you know, that hadn't been written yet. Um, but the but the temptation to doubt had to be there on Abraham's behalf, but he told his servants, he said, you stay here we're going to go to the top and make a sacrifice, me and the boy, and we will return. So he knew that the Lord was going to provide, but that can't over that can't overwrite the humanity of but what if? I think faith requires, by definition, at least a percentage of but what if. Otherwise, it's not faith. That's why hope, faith, and love are what remain. But the, but the greatest of these is love. Because one day, faith and hope will no longer exist. We will not have faith in the next world, you know, when we die physically. Because we will see. We will see fully and completely. But as long as we are still in these bodies, there is the but what if. And I think what Jim has beautifully articulated is we, at least I, I can say I don't know about you all, underestimate the 100% humanity element of Jesus. We acknowledge it, but I guess I underestimate it. Yes, 100% deity. Yes, 100% humanity. But I always, I guess, have underestimated what that really looked like as far as the filter of humanity to be able to see the divinity within. And um, yeah, so you just thought of Isaac uh, and you think Isaac as the blade was coming down towards him was like, hey best day ever. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> no. I'm sure there was full of like what in the world? What's happening? I, I trust you, Father, but what is this? Yes, right. And I think that's a window into the Christ who was, I trust you, but I've never been down this road before. I've never been in a grave before. Until 33 years ago, I'd never been in flesh before. And here I am. Please don't abandon me. Please don't. So the temptation to doubt does not equal the sin of doubting, but the temptation had to be there in order for him to be made complete, to understand where we are, so that he could be our source of salvation. That's just so awesome. I was just skimming over the high priest of prayer 17, from John 5, 17. Hearing what, what you've said, just wow. Yeah. 
could just make that high priestly prayer even to me all the more powerful. Yeah. So wonderful. Thank you, Jim. Mm -hmm. So very much. You want to close this in order prayer? Sure. Father, we just we just thank you for for the Son. We just thank you that he was made flesh so that he could experience what we go through. And that he could be our high priest and we can go to him with anything. Even when we're doubting. Help us to see that you are there whether we feel it or not. That you are you have our best interest at heart and that no matter what's happening to us you're still there and we can trust you and not the God of the universe to do what is right and we just love you and we thank you for all things in Jesus name Amen Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.